This episode of All the Books is sponsored by Book Riot Insiders. Bag your bookish perks with a 14-day free trial of Book Riot Insiders. Sign up for a monthly or yearly novel subscription, and the first 14 days are free. And here's what you'll get. The ability to wishlist upcoming releases you're dying to read, to use the new release index, which is curated by the one and only Liberty Hardy, and will also help you keep track of the most exciting upcoming books. You'll get access to exclusive podcasts and newsletters. You can enter to win swag and much, much more. So come on in. Your bag of bookish perks is waiting. Go to bookriot.com slash insiders to find out more. to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 184, and today we are talking about books being released on November 13th, 2018, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello, hello. Hi. So, it feels like it's oh, been so long since we did this again. I know, and I have to tell you, I cheated on you last week <gasps> with, with Red or Dead. <laughs> well... It's I couldn't okay. help it, though. Rincey was like, I need someone to sit in for Katie while she's on her honeymoon. Do you want to talk about Agatha Christie? Yes. And I was like, do I? I was going to say Rincey <laughs> thought about that pitch before she came to you. And for our friends who are listening to this, if you don't know, Red or Dead is Book Riot's podcast about like mysteries, thrillers, suspense, horror, and apparently now all things Agatha Christie. Yeah. I was like... She's like, here's the here's the plan for the show. I was like, okay, but right before this, can I talk for like ten minutes about Agatha Christie? <laughs> Just talk about her. She's like, okay, yeah, of course. I was like, yay! I have all this information in my head, and it just sits there. <laughs> that really is the moment you were born for. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I told an embarrassing story. It was all. It was great. It was lots of fun. Are there any lingering Agatha Christie facts that you just need to like get out of your brain? Do you do you need to do that for a minute or no? No, I think I'm good. People okay. should listen to the podcast and then yes. learn everything. So go find Red or Dead. Red like reading. Dead like, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that was my dead noise, apparently. <laughs> you know, we're so dialed in right now that it almost guarantees the wheels are going to come all the way off by oh, the end of the yeah. show. <laughs> I think I saw them go by the window a minute ago before we even started recording. <laughs> so let's talk about books. That's a good plan. I'm going to kick it off with one I was so excited about. I know everyone else is so excited about. It is A Ladder to the Sky by John Boyne. John Boyne, Mm. the author of The Heart's Invisible Furies, one of my very favorite books of last year, one of my new very favorite books. Uh, I would say at this point in time, more people have reached out to me to say thank you for recommending that book than any other title I've ever talked about. Really? It's a huge favorite with so many people. It's so, so good. It scratches John Irving itches, Mm -hmm. and it's just, it's fantastic. So I have to say, when I, he's very prolific. Like, after I read The Heart's Invisible Furies, I bought all his backlist, and that was 13 novels. So, I mean, he's, he's a busy guy. And, I have to say, when I heard about the new one, I was kind of hesitant because the Hearts and Visible Fury is the main character, Cyril Avery. He's so sweet and funny and loving. And this is one was being called a psychodrama with a, mm. with a villain. And I was just like, mm. That's a hard left turn. Yeah, but, you know, it's, I loved his last book, so I was like, I'm going to go ahead and trust him. And, yes, the main character of A Ladder to the Sky, Maurice Swift, is a very, very bad man. 
He is like the anti-Cyril Avery, and he is compelling AF. Like, <laughs> just, oh my goodness. So it starts out, it's like the late 1980s. It's in Berlin, Germany. It's so hard for me to say Berlin now because my boyfriend's family lives in Berlin. It's, I say it wrong mm. all the time. So, the anyway, emphasis on talking, the syllables. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we're talking about Germany. Uh, there's an, an older author named Eric Ackerman. He is in Germany to accept an award. He's had kind of like a mediocre career as an author. Like, he gets published, but not a lot of fame or acclaim. And he's finally been being recognized for something that he has written. And while he's in Germany, he, he's, he himself is from Germany, but he hasn't lived there for many years. Um, he meets a young waiter named Maurice Swift, who is a very handsome, very ambitious writer. And Maurice kind of exploits Eric's attraction to him and becomes his assistant. And he gets Eric to reveal his darkest secrets, which are Ooh. about his time in Germany during World War II. And Maurice turns around and uses Eric's secrets in his novel. Like, publishes a novel about this terrible time in his life. Um, and I'm not going to tell you any more about what happens. Just that once Maurice gets a taste of literary fame, you know, what he's been craving, he will stop at nothing. There is nothing he won't do to keep his star rising. It's just, he's so despicable. I loved to hate him. Uh, it's so different than his last novel, but it was so delicious. I mean, and it's finally a novel worthy of a Patricia Highsmith comparison. I mean, mm. every time somebody's, like, bad or pretending to be someone else, they're like, oh, it's like Patricia Highsmith. It's like, no, it's not. This one, definitely worthy of a comparison. So I'm going to stop there. And just tell you, it's so good. It's A Ladder to the Sky, and it's by John Boyne. I completely missed that there was a new one coming out. It was so and fast. I'm Yeah, especially because The Heart's Invisible Furies was huge. Like a big, that is a big, a physically big book. That's a lot of pages. This one's pretty have, big too. To have written. Um, I'm really looking forward to picking this up now. It sounds like, you know, we've well established that I'm having trouble with fiction this year, but this sounds like fiction I can sink my teeth into. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Speaking well, of sinking your sinking teeth. Sinking your teeth. Man, I set myself up and wasn't even on purpose. <laughs> That's how good we are today. Uh, my first pick this week is Crave, a memoir of food and longing by Christine S. O'Brien. Um, I mentioned, I think the last time I was on the show, that this was what I was going to read next. And I was really intrigued by the title. Uh, if you've listened to the show for a while, you know that I love a food memoir. This was not what I was expecting at all, but in some really intriguing and and uh, challenging ways. So Christine O'Brien's father was um, a very renowned head. He was an ABC executive. Um, he created the wild, the wild world of sports, and then he produced the Stepford Wives, and like had this huge career in television and then in film. So she comes from a very privileged experience. Um, but her mother, as she, when when Christine was growing up, her mother, who was beautiful. Um, survived a very dramatic accident when she was a child and um, b recovered and seemed to be like relatively, you know, stable and normal until just one day when Christine is a kid, her mom collapses in the family's apartment and her father tells Christine, your mother's illness is not physical. Um, it's clear there's some like, you know, implying there is some mental health stuff going on 
with mom. Um, her mother decides that the cure must be related to food. And there, we're not clear, or Christine's never clear on like how her mom finds out about these things, but this is like the seventies. Um, she starts following this really restrictive, rigid dietary program that she calls the program, like capital T, capital P, where she like drinks celery juice and blended salads. And that's basically it. There's a period where she just eats raw liver. Um, so her mother is like trying to heal herself through these very wacky sort of fringe dietary programs that at some points have spiritual components to them as well. Um, eventually, her mother starts imposing the program on Christine and her brothers. She's the oldest of all four kids. She's the only girl. Um, and their loyalty to their mom is tested through, like, will they adhere to this program? Are they going to sneak off to a friend's house and eat ho-hos? Um, and so the title Crave comes from all of the things that Christine found herself craving growing up when she was also just subsisting on like blended celery juice and blended salads, basically green smoothies for every meal and not enough of them. Um, it's, it's difficult in the way that those memoirs about people's difficult childhoods are. Um, but she has such interesting perspective on it now from well into her adulthood, from having had her own children and raised them and sort of come back around to a, you know, much more normal mainstream way of eating and of interacting with food. And so the book talks about her physical hunger, emotional hungers, um, the ways that food and, you know, it's kind of the inverse or like the upside down of what the typical food memoir is like, which celebrates like all the ways that food makes our life full and rich and interesting um, and looks at what life feels like when there's not enough food. And it's not because of a, a lack of ability to get it. This is not an impoverished situation, but um, when you're not being fed emotionally or physically, what that's like. Um, and it's all complicated by the fact that her mother means well. Her intentions are good. She thinks this is the right thing to do and has just bought completely into believing it. It's really complex. It's very thoughtful. Um, I had to put it down a couple of times just to process like, wow, there is some heavy stuff going on here. Um, but it's a great, great book. And I, I think I want to say like, if you're the, if you're like me and typically reading food memoirs and interested in the celebrations of food and what food does in our lives and our culture, it's important also to look at the flip side of it. Um, so I certainly recommend this. It's a, I think it's a great memoir. Again, it's Crave, a memoir of food and longing by Christine S. O'Brien. Completely unrelated. You know how we were mentioning <laughs> how I have um, strange facts in my head that just sit there and stagnate. Uh, you mentioned the Stepford Wives. Mm -hmm. Today is the 11th anniversary of the death of Ira Levin, who wrote the Stepford Wives. These are the things that I know in my head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyways. <laughs> I appreciate you, Liberty. Thank you. Yeah, bye wheels. Okay, uh, let me tell you about our next sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Shades of Wicked by Janine Frost. First, there was the Night Huntress, then the Night Prince, now meet the Night Rebel. First introduced as Bones Sire in the Night Huntress series, fans have been clamoring for more of Ian, and now the sexy and ruthless master vampire has his own series, Matching Wits Against Veritas. Veritas Ooh. being a, the name of a character. 
Master Vampire Ian has made many enemies over 200 years, including Dagon, a demon who now lays claim to his soul. Ian's only chance to escape is to join forces with a law guardian, but he's never been able to abide by the rules for long. Veritas' normal role is police, judge, and jury to reprobates like Ian, but she has her own axe to grind with Dagon. As she uses Ian as bait for the demon, Veritas realizes his devil-may-care image hides something more powerful, and Ian discovers Veritas has secrets of her own. So that is Shades of Wicked by Janine Frost available now wherever books are sold and we thank them for sponsoring we will have a link to it in the show notes all right lib let's roll on yes with more actual information and not just crazy stuff in my head <laughs> um my next pick is insurrecto by gina apostle uh trigger warnings for discussions of violence i'm going to mention some historical wars uh, it, this is about two women. It's a novel. One is a Filipino translator, and the other is Amer- an American filmmaker who has hired her to come over and help her work on a movie she is making. It's a meta novel because within their story, there are two scripts that they are each writing. Each each is writing one of them for two very different films, and only one of them is going to be able to be made. And there's also the narrative of the director's father, who was a famous film director. He made a, a very famous film about war. He's very sort of like Francis Ford Coppola, Apocalypse Now. Um, or was that Stanley Kubrick? Oh my goodness, I can't remember anymore. It's Francis Ford Coppola. Um, and then after he disappeared, so nobody really knows what happened to him. So there's all these like rumors about him. But his daughter, Chiara, is the director. She wants to make a film that she's sort of heard the story of out of what she was reading about his film, she wants to make it about a massacre that took place during the Philippine-American War. And in 1901, uh, several uh, Filipino revolutionaries killed several dozen Americans who were there in the Philippines. And in retaliation, like I said, you know, this is, this is hard stuff. In retaliation, the general ordered that every Filipino over the age of 10 be killed. In that village. It's just... And have you ever heard that? I had never heard that. Mm Mm-mm. No. Right? And so... And it's just crazy, because that's what this book is about. The heart of the book is about this war in 1901 and this massacre that has just been forgotten. It's it's a huge part of their history. It's a part of our history here in the States, but nobody talks about it. Nobody... Like, I didn't learn that in school. Um, It's just this brilliantly constructed novel that makes you want to get down and weep about how amazing fiction is and what it can do for you and what it brings into your life and teaches you. It's so, so amazing. Um, So I'm not going to give any more of it away. And I'll just tell you, it's called Insurrecto, and it's by Gina Apostle. All right. My next one is kind of a cheat because it comes out this week. Um, It comes out today when you're listening to this book, but when you're listening to the show, but... There were no galleys because it's a big deal. So I have not read a word of this except for like the preview that I saw this morning. It is Becoming the Memoir by Michelle Obama, which was announced this morning as Oprah's next pick because there is still some logic in the universe. (laughs) (laughs) And there was like a little preview of the text in the Oprah announcement. But you know what? I was here for this months ago because Michelle Obama is so fascinating and so smart and accomplished and elegant and lived her eight years in the White House and now many more years than that in the spotlight in a way that I just think is so admirable and 
very, um, she very much embodies that, you know, when they go low, we go high, except she just lives on the high road, I think. Um, and I'm very excited to read her reflections on um, her entire life on growing up in the South Side of Chicago, um, being a lawyer, balancing her marriage and motherhood and her work, and then what it was like to step really into the glaring spotlight of not just being the first lady, but being the first black first lady of America. Um, and, you know, also what's happened since then, I do know from, uh, I think the Associated Press got an early copy somehow from a review that came out um, last week that she talks about the 2016 election, and she talks about the current political climate. And I'm really looking forward to getting her honest, you know, unvarnished perspective uh, on all of that. So if you were somehow unaware that this book is coming out this week, um, here you are. If you just needed a reminder, let's be excited about it together. It's Becoming by Michelle Obama. I think it's going to be the best-selling book of the year. I certainly hope so. Yeah, that's that's my feeling. I'm kind of surprised. I mean, maybe it has to do with, like, when she finished it and stuff, but I'm kind of surprised it wasn't released earlier in the year. Mm. But I think it's going to be the bestseller. I uh, hope so. It would be nice to see it outsell some of those big, you know, Trump-focused Yeah. I think right now Fear is the best-selling book of mm-hmm. Bob Woodward, but maybe she'll beat him. Uh, so my next pick is a very important book. It's called American Overdose, Opioid Tragedy in Three Acts by Chris McGreal. Uh, I want to let everyone know that, uh, trigger warnings, this is a discussion of drug use and overdose deaths. Um, but I, you know, I do think it's important to, to hear about them. Uh, so it, he talks about the attention that has been given in the last few years, about the opioid epidemic in America and how actually it's been over 20 years in the making. He talks about corporate greed and government indifference uh, that have fanned the flames of the largest drug epidemic in American history. Uh, overdoses are now the leading killer of people under the age of 50. Like, let that sink in. Uh, it has set the life expectancy back in the United States, which is something that is unheard of. It's never happened before in the developed world. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to go into all the details about this book because, it, you know, you're listening to this for fun and they are depressing and sad, it, you know, but it's very well researched. It's very humane. It's, a, you know, OxyContin changed the face of painkillers. Uh, they kept being prescribed by pharmacies even after they were shown to be dangerous. The pharmacies were popping up all over in towns where all the other businesses were closing you know, this business is just making so many people money. I just feel like everyone should read this book because everyone, everyone is touched by this somehow. You know somebody, you know somebody who knows somebody. Everyone has been touched by this. And so this week happens to also be the 11th anniversary of uh, Josh's death. I was married. To, I don't talk about this you know, I, I'm kind of nervous now. I've never talked about it really in public. Um, in my 20s, I was married to a man named Josh. And in the last year of our marriage, he was an addict. And I had no idea until it was too late. Um, I had been raised to believe that people who do drugs were the bad guys. So, of course, like, why would I ever expect that, you know, my husband was, was an addict. But, you know, he had a friend who shared some OxyContin with him because he got it because he was in pain. And a year later, you know, my husband was snorting heroin. He lost his job. He lost his home. He lost his car. He lost his marriage. 
Um, and I don't talk about it because I'm selfishly embarrassed, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, how did you not know? It's, it's embarrassing. Um, but not talking about it isn't doing anybody any good, you know. So I feel the only way that we can help people and learn empathy is through education, through discussing these things, and through reading books like this. So please go out and read American Overdose, Opioid Tragedy in Three Acts by Chris McGreal. That was really brave, Lib. Thank you. I'm just going to let it <laughs> sit for a minute. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't have a good... <laughs> there is no good... There's, there there's no is. good transition. Um, th- there shouldn't be a way to smoothly transition out of a conversation like that. And you're right. There's... It's, it's much more alarming than I think most of us are even aware of, um, even from reading the headlines about the opioid crisis. And there's a lot of shame around the conversation, not just for people who are addicted, but for their friends and family members and loved ones. And the only way to break that down is to talk about it. So thank you for doing that. Thank you. Um, our next sponsor this week while everyone takes a deep breath, is uh, Sorry witness. I brought the room down. Look, we're here for real life, you know? Yes. Uh, our next sponsor is Witness, Lessons from Ellie Wiesel's Classroom. It's by Ariel Berger. The world remembers Ellie Wiesel as a Nobel laureate, an activist, and author of more than 40 books as a great humanist. He passed away in July of 2016, and now in Witness, we see him as never before, not only as an extraordinary human being, but as a master teacher. Uh, This book is written by Wiesel's devoted protege and friend, Ariel Berger. It takes us inside the classroom where listening and storytelling keep memory alive. Witness provides a front row seat to those lessons in compassion, teaching us that listening to a witness makes us all witnesses. In this book, Wiesel's legacy lives on. Ariel Berger first met Eli Wiesel at a lecture in New York City when he was 15 years old. In his 20s, Berger was a student of Wiesel's at Boston University, and then in his 30s, he became Wiesel's teaching assistant. The two maintained a close friendship for the remainder of Wiesel's life. He was a towering presence on the world stage, but first and foremost, he thought of himself as a teacher. So much is known about Wiesel's experience as a Holocaust survivor, as an author and an activist, but this is the first book that takes us inside his classroom where he taught for nearly 40 years. And prior to his death in 2016, Wiesel gave Berger his blessing to write this book and even wrote a letter um, saying, there is no one else to whom I would entrust such a project. So uh, that is uh, Witness, Lessons from Ellie Wiesel's Classroom by Ariel Berger. I'm sorry, I was mispronouncing it uh, earlier. Ariel. Again, Witness, Lessons from Ellie Wiesel's Classroom by Ariel Berger. The link is in the show notes. The book, as always, is available wherever books are sold. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like wanting to draw some lines to the importance of bearing witness to things. And I think that's what we're doing here. Um, Again, no smooth transition. So I'm just going to jump in. Um, My next pick this week is Good and Mad, The Revolutionary Power of Women's Anger. It's by Rebecca Traster. came out last month on October 2nd. Um, She had the ironic good fortune, I guess, of dropping a book about women's anger the same week that the Kavanaugh um, Supreme Court hearings were taking place with Christine Blasey Ford. Uh, And this book joins books like 
um, eloquent rage and rage becomes her. And I think there's one other one that I've talked about um, in the 2018 pantheon of books about women's anger. This is a just real moment uh, that we're in. So Rebecca Traster, well-known feminist writer, this book is a history of women's anger as the catalyst for political change um, from the suffragettes who marched on Washington uh, to get women the right to vote um, to office workers who walked out after Clarence Thomas was confirmed to the Supreme Court. Uh, and it also explores um, the Women's March and the Me Too movement and you know very contemporary things. Um, I heard Rebecca Traster on a podcast recently talking about how when she got this book deal, she thought she was going to like write it through the Trump administration and take like several years to really dig in. But then last year, when the Harvey Weinstein story broke and the Me Too movement took off, she wanted to make sure to capture that and write about that write about the movement from inside the moment that it was born. So this book does a lot of things. Um, She looks at women's anger inside a patriarchal society, so women's anger at men, but also women's anger at each other. It's very intersectional. Um, She looks at how anger is perceived depending on who's the angry person. Um, Men's anger and women's anger are taken very differently. A white woman's anger is taken very differently from a black woman's anger. Um, She looks at the history of essentially like large-scale gaslighting and delegitimizing women's anger, and then how women coming together to be collectively really angry about something is fuel for political movements um, and encourages women to find ways to, you know, to use anger and to channel it and to come together and give each other space. Um, that as she talks about that one of the most important things that we can do is see each other's anger and acknowledge it uh, and create spaces between women for anger to be expressed um, and to become fruitful because it has been fruitful. The anger has driven much of the um, political and social change related to feminism uh, in and to you know to important social issues. Um, it's a you know it's a kind of sprawling history, but done very well. Um, Traster's writing is very narrative. You probably, if for no other reason, you probably recognize her name from her book, All the Single Ladies, which came out a few years ago. Um, it's this is a this is a great book, um, and I think that men who are struggling to understand why women are so pissed off right now um, would do very well to read this. Men who are allies, who think of themselves as allies to feminists, would do very well to read this. You know, I think one of the great frustrations of feminist literature is that often it's preaching to the choir or the only people who pick it up are people who have already, uh, you know, bought into the message. Um, And if you're anywhere on the edges and you're trying to figure out, like, why are women so angry? This is a great grounding perspective, not just for the current political moment, but for historically um, where women have been and why we've been angry for so long. Uh, So it's Good and Mad, The Revolutionary Power of Women's Anger by Rebecca Tree. And piggybacking on that, there's a book out this week that I think if people are interested in that, they'll be interested in this. It's called Fed Up, Emotional Labor, Women, Women? (laughs) Emotional (laughs) Labor, Women, and the Way Forward by Gemma Hartley. And it's a bold dive into the unpaid, invisible work women have shouldered for too long. Mm. So just want to give a shout out to that one. Yeah. All All these covers are the same. Rage Becomes Her, Good and Mad, Fed Up, they're all red and white. 
It's a great, it's a great theme. Yeah. So <laughs> it is, it's like it's surprising how, how similar they look because you know, the publishers weren't like comparing notes. No. <laughs> All right. So for my last pick, um, I have something so delightful. <laughs> oh, good. Let's bring it back up. I'm sorry that I, I brought everybody down. Do not um, apologize. That was very important. Thank you. Um, I So today, the sequel to this is out, and I think I might have talked about it before, but I'm going to talk about it again because I love this series so, so, so much. Uh, my last pick is Nevermore. It's never M-O-O-R. Trials of Morrigan Crow by Jessica Townsend. The sequel, Wondersmith, The Calling of Morrigan Crow, is out today. Uh, these are amazing middle-grade fantasy books. It's like Alice in Wonderland meets Harry Potter. I, I kind of feel bad because any Ooh. book where a child is told that they are special and taken away from horrible circumstances and brought to another magical land is automatically going to be compared to Harry Potter. And, which I, I mean, I guess it's not a bad thing, but it stands alone in its inventiveness and it's so much fun. So there's this girl named Morgan Crow. She's a called a cursed child. She lives in this town called Eventide. And these cursed children uh, are doomed to die on their 11th birthday. So she goes through her whole life knowing this. And not only that, but everyone blames everything that happens in the town on her. Like, if something goes wrong, it's her fault. And she has to, like, write an apology letter for it. Like, if your milk spoils, it's her fault. If you lose something, <laughs> it's her fault. It's just, like, she's kept in the house, you know, and she's, this is the life that she was raised in. And on the eve of her 11th birthday, a very interesting man with a very large beard named Jupiter North shows up at her house and says, you know, I'm going to sponsor her because all the other kids in her town get to go away to these schools. And he says, I'm going to take her to my school. And everyone's like, but she's going to expire in a couple hours. And they're like, he's like, no, no. And he takes her to the secret land of Nevermore. And he tells her that she has an incredible knack. A knack in this instance is a special skill. And he won't tell her what that knack is. He, and she's like, I'm not special in any way. And he's like, oh, yes, you are. You And he wants her to become a member of the Wondrous Society. It's this very elite group of people who have incredible talents. But he won't tell her what her talent is. <laughs> but he becomes her benefactor and sponsor. And she has to pass all these tests to get into the Wonder Society, but also she has been brought in secretly into the land of Nevermore because most people who belong to the Wonder Society come from Nevermore. So she's not allowed to tell anyone that she's not from there. She has to like pretend and hide out. He owns a hotel, and the hotel is so fabulous. It's so enchanting. Um, there's a giant cat assistant, and there's a living chandelier, and the rooms change according to your mood. And people get to ride umbrellas to get around instead of a subway. And it's it's so much fun. And obviously I'm not going to tell you what happens in the second book because that would be a spoiler to the first. But if you have kids or you yourself are looking for something like Harry Potter, this is it. It's so good. So again, it is called Nevermore, The Trials of Morrigan Crow, and it's by Jessica Townsend. All right. Um, my last pick this week is a book came out in the early part of this year, and I listened to it on audio earlier in the fall, and I've just been like waiting for the day to discuss it. It's called And Now We Have Everything on Motherhood Before I Was Ready by Megan O'Connell. Um, this is it's a pretty like slim memoir, and I'm picking it because I think that the ways that we talk about womanhood in general are far too limited. The conversation is far too limited, but especially um, motherhood 
gets presented and packaged in very specific, shiny ways. Um, And I think there's a, I can never remember the name of the poet, but there's this quote about like, what would happen if a woman told the truth about her life, the whole world would crack open, something like that. Um, And I think that Megan O'Connell is contributing to that idea with this memoir about sort of getting pregnant before she was ready. The jacket copy is like, she got accidentally pregnant and didn't know what to do. But like, it was the night that she got engaged to her husband and they just decided not to use a condom. And um, also she had been halfway obsessed with babies for a while. So like, it's maybe not completely accidental. Um, But she gets pregnant, they aren't prepared at all. She doesn't know, you know, much of the realities of what being pregnant is like, doesn't know how to jump into motherhood, because who does like that does not come with a guidebook. Um, And then has a really difficult birth experience that is not at all the plan that she's come up with or hoped that it would be. And those things aren't talked about nearly enough in our society in our culture either. There's not enough space for women to be honest about what pregnancy is really like, what motherhood is really like, that it's not just like making crafts off of Pinterest and being so happy with this little creature that has come into your life. And now you have everything, uh, as the title says. Um, memoirs are often called unflinching. And I think that term is overused, but I do think it's applicable here. Um, I am on the record. People who listen to this show know that um, I don't want children of my own um, and for many reasons, but the whole process of getting to having the child sounds horrifying. Um, there were some like parts of this that were really difficult to listen to on audio because of how honest she is, but it's difficult in an important way because that's it, this is a difficult thing. Being pregnant is difficult. Having a child is difficult. Like The giving birth part and also the continued having and raising of the child. And if you are partnered, adapting your relationship to that, um, adapting your identity. She's a writer, but how is she supposed to get out of the house to write for consistent periods of time and maintain her own work while also, you know, being tied to uh, the demands of a child while breastfeeding. It's it's really honest. Um, and I really enjoyed it and found, I think this is an, an important memoir and an important contribution to literature about women's lived experiences. Of course, this is not how all pregnancies are. It's not how all women feel about motherhood. Women aren't a monolith. And it's one important story, an important voice to, you know, to have out there so that women can feel freer to tell the truth when our experiences aren't, you know, shiny and perfect about everything. So that's, and now we have everything on Motherhood Before I Was Ready by Megan O'Connell. If you're into audiobooks, I highly recommend doing it that way. Monolith is a great word, but every time people use it, I think of, like, some kind of magical creature with scales. <laughs> it does kind of have that, like, it sounds like a monolith could be, like, a cousin of the Leviathan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I say. Right, well, let's go with it. I like that story. <laughs> so, Lib, those are our new and old and recommended books this week. What are you going to read next? Well, my wheelhouse came by and brought me When the Irish Invaded Canada, the incredible true story of the Civil War veterans who fought for Ireland's freedom. Speaking of history I have never heard anything about, 
Uh, it's by Christopher Klein, and it says it's the outlandish untold story of the Irish-American revolutionaries who tried to free Ireland by invading Canada. Just over a year after Robert E. Lee relinquished his sword, a band of Union and Confederate veterans dusted off their guns. But these former foes had no intention of reigniting the Civil War. Instead, they were bound by a common goal to seethe, seethe, I can't talk, to seize the British province of Canada and to hold it hostage until the independence of Ireland was secured. I've never heard about this. Oh, no. That is straight from your wheelhouse. Uh, like, honestly, when I saw the title roll by in the catalog at first, I was like, this must be like a jokey novel, like <laughs> Irish invading Canada. No, Civil War. Right on. Yeah. Um, what are you going to my- read? Well, my wheelhouse also came by (laughs) this week. I'm going to read Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, A Therapist, Her Therapist, and Our Lives Revealed by Lori Gottlieb, which comes out in April. So I feel kind of bad mentioning it this far in advance, but it's a book about um, about therapy and being a person and having emotions. And um, I'm in favor of all of those things. And it has a great <laughs> blurb from Susan Cain, who wrote Quiet. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to picking that up. Nice. Yes. All right. Well, thank we you all it. for – We did it. And thank you all for listening. And yes. thank you, Lib, for um, trusting your All the Books family with that part of your story today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Um, I won't say anything else because then I'll also get teary. Um, (laughs) So thank you to our sponsors this week, Shades of Wicked and Witness. We'll have links to both of those in the show notes. And of course, you can find them wherever books are sold. Check out Book Riot Insiders. Go to bookriot.com slash insiders to get your first 14 days free. If you have something to say to us, you can drop us a line at allthebooks at bookriot.com. That email address is the best way to reach us. Neither of us is very good at keeping up with our Instagram messages. So don't do that. All the books at bookriot.com or talk to us on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. And if you've got a minute, especially you want to give us maybe a little pre-holiday treat, you can leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.